Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Paper Ghosts is a production of iHeartRadio. Previously on Paper Ghosts. I think it's weird that, you know, pretty much the whole time he lived out there, girls were disappearing, and then he moved, and it stopped. You know, people always said, oh, you're the lucky ones. You found your person. We did. Right. And, you know, in our heart of hearts, we also know who did it. If someone goes missing today, I mean... You have, number one, electronic evidence, so cell phones. There's just so much. I mean, facial recognition, even though it's in its infancy. It's hard So to find. we find people pretty quickly today. You know, it's unusual for somebody missing more than a few days. He got really mad at me one time, and he said, if you don't watch it, you're going to end up like your sister. My name is 
am William Phelps. This is Paper Ghosts. As I make progress learning all I can about the La Rosa family, I cannot stop thinking about the other missing girls I've been searching for. I mentioned in an earlier episode how the neighboring towns of Ellington, Vernon, and Tolland, Connecticut were on high alert in 1973, when seven-year-old Janice Pocket went missing after going in search of a dead butterfly near her home. The community was vigilant because just five years earlier, not too far from where Janice disappeared, another young girl, 13-year-old Debbie Spickler, vanished. This was just up the road in the same town from where 13-year-old Lisa White went missing. The public and media have always grouped these cases together, so much so that the girls' faces were printed side-by-side side on one missing person flyer that continues to be posted around town to this day. Three young girls suddenly gone. Yet as I have found through my investigation, that is where the similarities stop. It is a fact that during the summer of 1968, Debbie Spickler was visiting her uncle, aunt, and cousins in Vernon, just about a 90-minute drive north from where she lived with her family in Mystic, Connecticut. The story that's always been told is that Debbie, wearing a white sleeveless shirt, green polka dot shorts, and white sneakers, was walking to a nearby park's swimming pool with her 17-year-old cousin on the day she disappeared. The cousin reportedly forgot her towel and went back to fetch it, leaving Debbie to go on to the park alone. That story, I've learned, is entirely false. Over a series of interviews I'd done with one Debbie Spickler relative last year, I revealed information I had recently uncovered about Debbie's disappearance that I believe the Spickler family had never known. I gave the relative a few names of people of interest and encouraged this person to inquire within the family. When I followed up, the relative said, my family doesn't want me talking to you anymore. And this person pulled out of the podcast. The information I gave this person was not in the public domain. These were facts I uncovered with the help of law enforcement sources and my private investigator, Ken Roby. So what's going on? I mean, I, I sent you some stuff. It's a lot of interesting stuff you gave me there. Ken knows his shit. He spent 23 years with the NYPD, many of those as a detective, and has over 360 arrests and 330 felony convictions to his credit. Post 9-11, Ken was assigned to the New York City Medical Examiner's Office and tasked with the recording, processing, and identifying of victims. He's a court-certified expert on missing persons and has been my PI and all-around go-to for missing person cases for many years. When the Spickler family relative abruptly stopped talking to me, I turned to Ken and new police documents I've obtained to help fill in the many holes left in this case. Here is what actually happened. On July 24, 1968, around 3.30 in the afternoon, Debbie Spickler and her cousin walked from the cousin's apartment to a nearby apartment complex where a friend of theirs lived. This was about seven-tenths of a mile heading west. 
When they arrived, the girls knocked on the door. Nobody was home. According to the cousin, they decided to split up to look for their friend. The cousin later told police she headed to the nearby Igloo restaurant, an old-school drive-in burger ice cream joint that was a popular hangout spot for Lisa White and Irene and Susan LaRosa. Meanwhile, Debbie walked across the street toward Henry Park, approximately 100 yards away. It was the last time anyone saw Debbie Spickler. There were not many leads for police to go off of, except for a promising one. Debbie's cousin told law enforcement that, on the day before Debbie disappeared, Debbie was at the Igloo, hanging out with a 16-year-old local guy named Ed Holgerson Jr. and the guy's friend, who went by the nickname Buzzy. Police located Buzzy, But as it turns out, Ed Holgerson was also reported missing on the same day as Debbie Spickler. It's an interesting discovery. A kid several years older than Debbie also dropped out of sight on the same day, at the same time, and, as police learned, the same location, Henry Park. I asked Ken, my PI, what this could mean. It could say two different things that A, he's, he's involved in one of the missings, or B, that he's a victim himself. Actually, it could say three things if both took off together. So I guess we got to dig further into that to see if uh, there's a boyfriend-girlfriend type of thing going on. There's something about Debbie Spickler's case that has always bothered me. Despite small-town gossip and media reports grouping her name with the other young missing girls in the area, Debbie's case has always felt different. Throughout the years, I've begun to find coincidences between the missing girls and the Susan LaRosa murder. But now there's this tangible lead moving Debbie's case away from those cases. And that anomaly is Ed Holgerson. In early August 1968, Shortly after Debbie went missing, one neighbor in Rockville told police about possibly seeing Ed drive by her house on a few occasions. She wasn't certain because she couldn't get a license plate number and the vehicle drove by too fast. What's interesting to me about this possible sighting is that the car had, quote, a young girl inside. All right, so in the report, it says Vernon P.D., went out to Hartford to interview uh, what seems to be Holgerson's mother. And she says, the last thing uh, I knew, he was taken off the Cape Cod. I've learned that cops found Ed in Boston three weeks after he and Debbie Spickler disappeared. This makes sense since Boston is just a short drive from Cape Cod. The police asked Ed about Debbie Spickler and after looking at her picture, Ed said, I saw this girl around Boston Common or the Boston Public Park. Then, this other piece of information. Cops asked Ed why he took off. Ed said he was running from law enforcement because, and I quote, I got a girl pregnant and the police were after me. September of the year that both he and Spickler went missing, so just just a few months later. He's arrested by Vernon P.D. for blackmail. Blackmail. So, yeah. Just a a couple months after, could he have blackmailed 
the parents of Debbie Spickler? Who who could he have been blackmailing? He's a seventeen year old kid. Maybe it, it could it be an opportunist type of crime. He knows now that Debbie's missing, and he takes an opportunity to try to make a few bucks off of it. That's that's the other thing I was thinking. Either he's legitimately blackmailing somebody, or he's he's an opportunist, which it seems like he is, and he's taking this opportunity to say, hey, I know, I have this information, give me money. So did Debbie run away with that, or was she taken by someone against her will? From what I've learned, I'm leaning towards the former. I know Debbie had met Ed during a trip to Vernon months earlier, and I get the feeling she was very familiar with him by the time they reconnected that summer. In his search for information, Ken came across two federal documents from May 1970, which at this point was nearly two years after Debbie and Ed went missing. The reports detail the arrest of a guy who fits Ed Holgerson's description. Everyone's a lot harder to track back then. I mean, he's got the same initials and everything. It's just the records in the 60, 60s and you know even early 70s weren't the same as they are now. Most of the stuff was handwritten. Nothing's going from uh, you know a computer across the country to another computer. According to one report, the man named Ed Holgerson was arrested in Laramie, Wyoming for driving a car that was stolen in Maine just months earlier. He was said to be with a, quote, woman and a child and produced a false driver's license as well as stolen credit cards. So you track Ed Holgerson out to Laramie, Wyoming, but how do we know it's our Ed Holgerson? I think because he's got the same initials and everything else, I think it could be Ed's dad. Wow. And yeah. Because the documents say our Ed Holgerson is Ed Holgerson Jr., right? Exactly. Records show that this Ed Holgerson Ken has found was in his mid-40s at the time of the arrest, which makes it likely he was Ed Jr.'s father. Even more so, because in addition to his place in Maine, which one could argue is a several-hour drive from either Boston or Cape Cod, this Ed also had an address in Hartford, Connecticut, which is where Ed Jr.'s mom lived. The woman who was in the car at the time of the arrest was said to be 36, so we know it could not have been Debbie. So, whose child was in the car? The police take them to jail and they drop the woman and the infant off at the Salvation Army. And the next thing you hear about this woman is a death notice for the, somebody by that name. But nothing connecting that infant to her or to him or to anyone else. So now Debbie's missing at that at time. time of the yeah. Wyoming arrest. Yeah. Right. Is it plausible and maybe even likely because we remember the story about Holgerson saying that he left because he got a girl pregnant. Is it plausible that his dad now shoots out there, takes this baby with either his girlfriend or his wife, and now they head across country back to where he was trying to stay in Arizona? Right. It's like the baby disappears. Like the baby went into... Um, could have went into the system, into foster care, orphanage. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Right, and that baby could not even know who she or he is. 
Debbie's cousin, who was with Debbie the day she went missing, has not wanted to speak with anyone, including me, about what happened. Though, when the Vernon Police Department re-interviewed her in 2010, she had some rather interesting information to share. She described Debbie as having a chipped front tooth and being, quote, very physically developed for a 13-year-old girl. The cousin stuck to the story she told in 1968, adding no new information. However, she did claim that Debbie revealed to her that she, quote, felt as if she was a burden to her family, end quote. The fact no one in the Spickler family has really ever spoken publicly about Debbie's case has always stood out to me. And I can't help thinking that the one photo of Debbie that was given to the police looked more like a fifth or sixth grade school photo than something reflecting her age when she disappeared, 13. Taking into account what Ken has helped me uncover, I have to wonder about that narrative of the cousin and Debbie and the forgotten towel. How did that story get out into the public domain? It, it opens up a can of worms and takes us down a rabbit hole. But even after all that, I go back and I'm like, where does that leave us? Right. It leaves us with the question still, where is Debbie Spickler? What happened to her? Right. Is she alive? It, and, and I'm leaning towards it's possible that she could be alive somewhere. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Despite the decades Debbie Spickler's case has been grouped with the other missing girl cases, I feel confident in saying there is no connection I can find linking her case to the others in any way. For now, I'm shifting my focus back on the other young girls. I'd recently come into possession of a case summary detailing Lisa White's disappearance. Lisa is the 13-year-old girl who went missing in 1974 while presumably hitchhiking home from her friend Maria Scrow's house just a block from where Bob and Susan LaRosa lived in Vernon, Rockville. Former Vernon Police Department detective Don Skews was the cop who took over Lisa's case and moved the needle, I think, farther than anyone. Mainly because Don came at Lisa's case from outside the box. Everybody back then it seemed to take it as more of a runaway. They didn't seem to take it seriously right away. Eventually... Don was 25 when his career began with the Vernon PD in 1988, 14 years after Lisa White went missing. Like most sizable police departments, a detective at the Vernon PD would work active cases, but would also be assigned a cold case to work on when time permits. A short time after joining the detective's unit, Don picked up Lisa's case. There was what's called negative reporting. So if they did a, if there was a tip and there was a follow-up, if it didn't produce any information, they didn't document it. Oh, geez. So, or they would dock so little you really wouldn't know what, what was done. So in the beginning, it was hard because it was hard telling who they actually talked to and who they didn't. So we, we did went out and re-interviewed. If you recall, Lisa White was hurrying to get home on the evening she disappeared because she was grounded from the night before when she and her best friend went joyriding with several older guys near the Massachusetts border. At first, it was reported there were two older boys, but it was actually four older boys. It was Halloween, and they were all taken into police custody after getting caught tossing pumpkins out of the car window. As you begin to look into it over the years, does anything begin to seem weird to you about it? Well, we started when we started looking out, a lot of them looked the same, so we started looking at, at is, is, is this more than one person? Was this like a, you know, somebody that was doing this in the area, you know, abducting ch- you know, children that age or around that age? Um, you know, we had Janice Pocket was missing at the time, Debbie Spickler. So those were all kind of the same times, you know, around the same area, same time, all Vernon. So we just kind of started looking at trying to connect them. So we started working, I started working with the, um, the state police, um, trying to compare notes with them and see if there was anything they had that we missed or anything I had that they missed. Did anything pop out? No. No, there was a few names they had, but they had already they already looked at them. Um, a couple of the names, I think, came up again. We re-interviewed. 
Um, and then some of the names that came up were suspects who were now deceased. After 40-something years, you can imagine the number of tips the Vernon PD has received about Lisa's case. I've chased many of them myself, most of which aren't worth discussing. But a few have always stuck with me. For instance, just days after Lisa went missing, police spoke with a neighbor two of the older boys lived next door to. The neighbor said, quote, heard a girl screaming and pounding on the walls inside the apartment an hour before cops arrived looking for Lisa, thinking she had run away. When police interviewed the males, both denied knowing where Lisa was or what happened to her. Another witness statement I read involved a trucker and his son traveling through Rockville on the night Lisa went missing, around the same time she was presumably thumbing a ride home. The father and son claimed to have picked up a girl and described Lisa to a T near the 7-Eleven up the street from Lisa's friend's house. They said they gave the girl a ride to the Vernon-Manchester, Connecticut town line, which was called Vernon Circle at the time, and claimed to have dropped her off there before they continued onto the interstate. I have never heard of law enforcement ever following up on this. But I have learned, according to these new documents, that Lisa's mother gave police the name of an older kid Lisa was apparently dating from Manchester, Connecticut. The one theory was, was she just happened to get a ride with somebody she trusted and felt was safe at the time, and obviously wasn't. At the time that it, was ha- that it happened, I don't think, we don't know if there was a, you know, didn't seem to be any struggle. Didn't seem like there was anybody that felt there was a, you know, that there was something more violent that happened. At one point, there was a tip that Lisa was living at Snipsick Lake, about a mile away from where Lisa went missing. It's interesting because I'd read about a tip with regards to a woman who said she recalled hearing a young girl running down the street yelling, he's going to kill me. This was the middle of November 1974, weeks after Lisa went missing. When that woman looked out her window after hearing a female screaming, she said she saw a van following a girl who looked strikingly similar to Lisa White. One unmistakable fact in the police documents was that a friend of Lisa's reported seeing her leaving Maria Scrow's house, walking east and up to the center of town, which is the opposite direction Maria thought Lisa had gone. That friend also said Lisa was very upset and crying about what had happened the previous night. So I asked Don what he and his colleagues, fresh eyes and minds on the case, all those years later, concluded happened to Lisa. In my theory, I think she got into a car with somebody she thought she knew well, or knew him from the the town and thought he was safe, or she was safe. I can't say it's he, we don't know, know which one it would be. This is why, for me, it's so vital to talk to law enforcement who've been on the job for years. We tend to assume, in female abduction cases, that a male is behind the abduction. But males will sometimes use females as bait to lure and abduct young women. Don's scenario would fit into that dynamic. All those girls hitchhiked back then. Right. Stuck to yeah, like everybody thought it was, it was safe back then to do that sort of thing. At least they thought it was. Did the fact that the uh, Bob LaRosa uh, lived down the street from literally where she went missing mean anything to you guys? I, th- I think we considered it, but we didn't look too much into that. I think that one we kind of almost, in my opinion, might have been separated a little bit just because we kind of knew what he did, that one was about. By that one, Don means Susan LaRosa's murder. 
Not only did the Vernon PD always view Bob LaRosa as the number one and only suspect for his wife's murder, they considered him for the other cases as well. Let me ask you a question that's come up for me in this. Do you remember ever hearing the name Irene LaRosa as someone who was missing? No, that doesn't, doesn't sound familiar to me. I explained what I knew about Irene's case. So, I mean, as a cop in Vernon, working with the state police, that case would have been folded in there, I would assume. Sure, absolutely. Especially with the because last of the name. the timeline. And the LaRosa was to be in the last name. Right. Yep. Irene is Bob's sister. So you guys would have definitely been interested in Bob Moore for having a sister and a wife who went missing. Correct. That, absolutely. Something else to think about. Why did Bob LaRosa never mention to police after Susan went missing that he had a sister who had vanished four years before? I would think any husband in the same position would consider that an important piece of information and essential to perhaps finding his wife. First, again, first time I ever even heard anything about that. And we worked, I mean, I worked in the Loris case with the other detectives, and I don't, I think we would have tied that in if we had heard it. I refocused Don on Lisa White and what else he could tell me about recent developments in her case. I knew there had been searches for her within the past two decades. Was it Lisa's case where there were a couple of dog searches? Yes. And where were they? We did, um, we did one up in Henry Park just before. That was Henry right Park is where Debbie Spickler went missing in 1968. That search for Lisa with cadaver dogs took place shortly before Don retired in 2012. So we did a dog, we did a dog search up there. We had a couple minor hits, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, we pretty much anything. We took any tip and took it seriously. It didn't matter who it came from because we just wanted to resolve the case. Do you know if anybody ever searched over by where the La Rosa girl was found for Lisa or Janice or any other girls? Did they ever bring dogs over there? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I don't know if they looked for other girls over there or not when that happened. I'm actually in the process of setting up my own canine search for this area. I've asked the state police about doing it, as have the Wendells and victims' families, and have never gotten a response. To me, it seems like the obvious next step in location to conduct a cadaver search. I never like to question what law enforcement has done in the case because I'm not in their shoes. But this just feels like the right thing to do. Don has this indelible sense of connection to Lisa White's case. It still bothers the guy to this day that he was unable to do more. I see it on his face. And as we talked further, Don's demeanor changed. I could tell talking about all of this struck at the core of his compassion for all of these victims and their families. I mean, we always just wish that one piece, a solid piece of information that gave us what we needed, um, not only for, for, for Lisa, but for all the girls, that we could have resolved it all and just, you know, put this to rest for everybody. But we, nobody, it just, it was one of those, it just seems like there's no witnesses. So whoever, whoever did this, either was really good at what they did or they knew they at least knew in my case they knew Lisa um, because from what I understand she was pretty spicy um, I don't think she would have just cooperated if, and get into a car she didn't want to get into so that you know, leads me to believe she probably knew the person
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. According to police documents, in 1981, Lisa's mother, Judy Kelly, filed a claim for life insurance. Judy was desperately seeking any type of closure. A year later, 1982, the Connecticut State Police released its conclusions in the Lisa White case, noting, based on the information, it is the state's opinion that this victim is not alive and her death occurred a short time after she disappeared after she accepted a ride with an unknown person and may have met violence as she walked towards the center of Rockville. It's really destroyed my life because there's not a day that goes by, even now, that I don't think about it. That is one of only a few recordings we have left of Judy Kelly talking about the pain of not knowing. I'm sure someone took her 
and killed her right then. I just would like to know where she is. Judy was an inspiration to so many children throughout the years in the Tritown area, not only because of her determination to find her missing child, but the fact that so many children went through her dance studio and got to know her personally. I'd stopped by to talk with her other daughter, April, one early fall afternoon. I didn't expect her to do what I was about to ask because I know the pain and anguish April has been through. And yet, within all that pain and suffering, I found April, a single mother who still operates her mom's dance studio in her family's honor, to be one of the strongest people I know. No matter what is thrown at her, a leaky roof inside the studio, a downturn in student enrollment, a freaking bomb scare at a recital, she figures out a way to survive. So I put my request out there. You know, I figured Judy could have a voice uh, through you because these are her writings from her from her diary, so if you want to read some of that, go ahead. And my mother says, if I only get a second chance, I'll let her see how much I love her. Another thing people constantly say to me is, don't worry, she'll come back. Maybe they think that it will make me feel better, but it doesn't. Everybody needs time to grieve so they can go on, but we don't know what happened to Lisa. We are not allowed to do it. Somehow we crawled through Christmas. Lisa's presence lay there unopened. We existed through March. I was completely disillusioned by the local police. Every day is like being lost in limbo. I pray every day that we find Lisa so we can go on. In March 2013, in Vernon, off Regan Road, where Lisa White lived, in the specific location where Lisa and her friends used to have keg parties, bonfires, and hang out, an art student was trudging through those woods looking for scrap metal to turn into a sculpture, and he stumbled upon human remains. It was the skull of a young female. In the next episode of Paper Ghosts. I just had a gut feeling that it was my sister. And um, all I wanted was, at that point, closure for myself, closure for my mom. It was like a knife in my heart when we found out. They asked him the same questions in so many different ways to see if he'd mess up, you know, and stuff. But he really stuck to, they couldn't get anything out of him. Like, not a thing. If another little girl on a bicycle disappeared 30 days after the pocket case, within five miles of the pocket house, would you think if you could solve one, you'd probably solve them both? Yeah, absolutely. That happened? You don't know that then, do you? Paper Ghosts is written and executive produced by me, M. William Phelps. With help from producer Christina Everett and sound editing by Pete Cardi from Backroom Audio. A special thanks to Abu Safar and Will Pearson from iHeartRadio. The series theme, number 442, is written and performed by Tom Mooney and Thomas Phelps. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.